Thanks, Will. Yeah. Hey, I can't, um, I want to reiterate what Wilson just said about Stockholm. My heart, just so you know this, as a senior pastor, as a lead pastor here, would be everyone do Sockham, okay? Uh, you, 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 you look at it, you think, nine months, are you crazy? You might look at it and think, three hours a week, you are crazy. But I guarantee you, once you get into it, you will wish it never ended. It, it, Sockham is what church is supposed to be, Okay? It's where you really learn how to be what Jesus wants you to be. And so my desire would be two things I'm going to say right now. One, that everybody would do Sockham. And two, that we would multiply throughout the whole church, every age group, what's happening in the house group ministry. Because in that ministry, what, they, what they've developed is a prophetic culture. We're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about that more in the future. But in, in a prophetic culture, there's just the presence of the Holy Spirit there. And, and every, everyone there has the potential to get a word of knowledge or, or to pray for someone else and see them healed. And so the whole culture is just filled with, with the presence of God and with prayer ministry and kind of radical, committed, life-giving worship, and uh, we want to see that spread throughout the whole place here too, okay? So, all right, that said, um, how many of you have seen the movie, What About Bob? Anybody? Okay. Oh, wow, that's so good. I love you guys. That's like my favorite movie. You, do you remember the scene where Bob had sailed? You know, they t- tied him to the mast, and then afterwards, he says, I sail, I sailed. He's exuberant. You know, does not that a breakthrough in my life? I sail. Well, I, I want to stand here and tell you today, I parachute. All right? So I jump. I jump out of planes. Um, listen, if you're on Facebook, you might know that already. But uh, Wilson's birthday was last Thursday. And about a month ago, he got this idea he'd like to parachute on his birthday. Yeah, so there he is. And I thought, well, he'll get over it, you know. <laughs> We call that skydiving. Skydiving, that's right. I skydive. Thank you, Wilson. (laughs) If if I use any other anachronisms here, you can correct me. Um, (laughs) All right. So at any rate, Wednesday, Wilson comes to me and he said, Dad, will you skydive with me? And he said, Jen thought maybe you would do it with me. And I said, okay, why not? And so then, uh, so, so it was the two of us. And I said, let me call your brother, Chad, who's coming down from Chicago with his wife and two children. And so I called Chad, and Chad says he was in. He said, let me talk to Nicole. Then Nicole's in. And then, fi- I fi- well, Jen wanted to also, Wilson's wife, who's going to be up here leading worship. W- Jen's in. So everybody's in except Lori at this point. <laughs> and so the decision was, Lori will drive to the airfield with us in a separate car, we had to get there earlier, and she will watch the granddaughters while the rest of us skydive. Well, as she's leaving, Grant Anderson, who is the husband of our children's pastor, Sarah Anderson, uh, Lori told him where she was going, and he said, you ought to do it too. He said, you ought to, you ought to skydive too. Why, why aren't you? So he put that in her mind, and by the time she got there, she was going to skydive too. So, so now the whole, the whole family's doing this. And I just have a picture of Lori and myself up here. All right, there we are before we went. 
Those white shoes are special skydiving shoes. I want to tell you, yeah. So the only thing I would say about it was I was not nervous. I was not afraid. I had no doubts, no second guesses until they opened the door. And I got to tell you, that is when reality hits. And that's a small plane, so you, we weren't like standing up. We were crouched down, kind of like shuffling on our knees to the door. And I, my head went out. Lori was already gone by this time. And my head went out the door, and I looked down 9,000 feet. And I thought, wait, this plane's not attached to anything. And I'm going to... It was just a, it was a dark moment in my life. But the guy behind me, he seemed to have a lot of confidence in this. And so we got out in the wing, or on the, on the, we're standing on this little thing. And I'm holding on to the wing, and I just thought, okay, all I have to do is let go of that. This guy's going to decide the rest. And so I let go, and he jumped, and I went with him. And so it was, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, yeah. So now, and I'm saying this so you can tell me, I want to find a place that bungee jumps, but you start off from a smaller height. I want to, I want to do it, you know, not, not from the 1,000-foot drop right off. But, uh, all right, that all said, we're in a series right now on faith, and uh, the the main title of the series is um, that uh, each of us are designed for dynamic faith. That's, That's the basic premise of this, that when you come to know Jesus, something changes inside of you. And actually, inviting Jesus into your life is an act of faith, and once he comes in, he changes you so that you are designed for faith. You are hardwired to believe. And what that means is that it's almost easier to believe than it is not to believe. Let me explain that to you. Because I'm hardwired to believe, when I lean into faith, I'm leaning into my identity in Christ, who I really am, and that feels good. That feels natural because that's what I'm designed to do. But when I lean into my own way, and I lean away from God's, and I'm not trusting God, but I'm going to do this my way, God. I know your word says this. I'm going to do this anyway. When I do that, then there is just this inner turmoil and conflict I experience because in being a new creation, I am, not, I am no longer comfortable in that world of non-faith, of doing it my way. And, and so we're all called to this, and the question is, you know, how, do, how, does it be, how do we activate this in our lives and how do we grow in faith? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today, specifically, uh, how do we grow in faith? We're going to look at a passage that I alluded to uh, a couple of weeks ago and draw some truths out of that. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some steps at the very end of this message that are pretty practical, I think, on how to grow in your faith. And so in this passage, Luke 5, um, Peter and uh, James and John have already become disciples of Jesus. Uh, We're about a year into his ministry. And for that first year of his ministry, he had a group of guys that traveled with him part-time. They still had jobs. Like Peter, James, and John are fishing right now. And this is about a year into Jesus' ministry. They've been on a lot of excursions with him. And they've seen a lot of stuff with him. But this is where Jesus' ministry really starts to take off. And it's shortly after this event that Jesus takes 12 of his disciples. He has this group. And he names them apostles. The word apostle means those who are sent 
with a commission and with authority. And so 12 of them are gonna, are gonna kind of like be brought off into this special group that uh, Jesus will actually use to launch the church. But at this point, Peter is still a fisherman and a part-time follower of Jesus. But here's what we read. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him uh, to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, that's Galilee, and, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also Peter, named Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. All right, so they already know Jesus. And Jesus has so many people crowding around him. He's pushed right down to the shore. And he can't, he can't create any distance from the crowd so that he can speak to them. So he gets in the boat, goes out on the water. Water is a great reflector of sound. It gives, gives him a great place to speak to this throng of people from. And um, so what we see with Peter, and later we see it's going to be James and John are there also. What we see with them is they've been working all night. And so they've been out all night fishing. And now they're, they're back in. Their, their work day's over, okay? Um, have you ever worked at a job where you punch a time clock? I've worked. I've worked at factory jobs and other jobs like that where, okay, my work day starts and my work day ends. And you punch the clock, it's time to go home. And you walk away from your job and you don't think about it anymore. Well, Peter, James, and John are just about at that point. They're cleaning their nets. They're about to, they're about to go home and have breakfast or whatever they got to do and, and get some rest. But at that point, Jesus jumps in Peter's boat and says, hey, Peter, come here. Push your boat out of ways. And so, of course, Peter does that. And, and now Peter's thinking, okay, the sermon's over. I get to go home and eat breakfast. We get, we get to you know, finish the nets and, and, and take off. But instead of that, here's what happens in uh, these next couple of verses. Uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and this must have been a shock to Peter. I mean, Peter's thinking, okay, Peter, uh, get back into shore. You guys, you guys go home and rest. I'll pick you up later tonight. Well, something like that. But instead he says, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And then he kind of, he's, he's thinking on his feet here and he, and he catches himself now and he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Now, they're tired, uh, they're exhausted, probably irritable, and hungry. And yet, Peter found somehow the ability to say, okay, Jesus, I will do this thing that you're asking me to do, in spite of the fact that there were a number of good reasons for him to say no. A lot of good reasons for him. First of all, Jesus is a carpenter, not a fisherman. You know, if you're a professional fisherman, why would you look to a carpenter for advice on fishing? Okay, that's simple. But in addition to that, what he told them to do didn't make any sense. They had been fishing all night and not caught anything in the cool of the night when the fish would be near the surface. Now they're into the day and it's getting hot and the fish are retreating to the deep water. 
And so it makes no sense whatsoever that you would go out again now and cast your nets in. Not to mention even that once they throw those nets in, they're going to have to clean them again when they get back to shore. And I don't want to clean my nets twice. I want to go home and sleep. I want, I want to eat. I want to, uh, you know, my, my work day's over. But there, there were all, I mean, there are other good reasons for him not to do this. How about this one? Peter's fishermen friends and competitors are watching. Okay, huge. Listen, Peter would have had to quit Facebook if this hadn't worked out. <laughs> Every time he went on, there would be someone that would be mocking him. They would have come up with names for him. I mean, he, he, he was laying his reputation on the line here when he did this with Jesus in front of all of his friends. Now, not to mention uh, his own father. Uh, I mean, Peter got his personality from someone. Peter was a know-it-all. He was bombastic. He was loud. And here, uh, here now he's going to do something that's going to open himself to ridicule. Uh, if, if his dad's still living, I can, I can picture the next family reunion when they come home. And the dad says, son, tell me about this thing I heard about you going out fishing in the deep water in the middle of the day or the middle of the morning when it was just starting to get hot. Didn't I teach you better than that? You know, what's, what's up with that, man? I mean, it would have, there's so many things that could have kept Peter from doing this. Not the least of which was he was a businessman. This is his livelihood. And he doesn't want to have a reputation for being a stupid fisherman. He doesn't want that. That's not going to help him prosper in life or move ahead in life. But somehow he overcame all of that and he was able to say, at your word, I'll do it. At your word, I'll do it. Now, what that tells you is that he had faith in Jesus, not in everything Jesus said. He had faith in Jesus, not in all of the solutions Jesus came up with yet at this point. He had faith in the person of Jesus, not in necessarily the outcome that's going to be the result of what he does. But it was that faith in Jesus that enabled him to say yes. And, and that is real faith. That is real faith. Not that we understand it. Look, the ways of God. We want deeper and deeper understanding and revelation into the ways of God. We want him to reveal more and more of himself to us. But there are always going to be moments where Jesus asks us to step beyond the level of reason to step beyond the level of our training or beyond the, uh, be, beyond the cultural uh, response that we've been taught and trained, uh, the, the responses we've been taught and trained by the culture that we grew up in. He's always going to ask us to step beyond what seems to be smart to us. And that is where it really, really becomes the, the real essence of faith is faith in a person. Not faith that if I do this, then this is going to happen. I have faith that this is going to happen. I just, I just believe so much that if we just go out and cast our nets one more time, we're going to catch fish. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Let's go. Let's do it. it. Not that. No, he didn't even believe that. But you know what he believed? He believed Jesus was good. He believed, uh, he, he's starting to see that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm not sure he was convinced of that yet. But he had seen Jesus. He had seen Jesus deal with the woman at the well. 
He had seen him show compassion to her. He saw that Jesus didn't care what other people thought about him. He wasn't worried about his reputation. Because in this previous year, he had seen so many things in Jesus' life. He saw Jesus clear the temple, go in and, and, and drive out the people that were misrepresenting God, claiming they were representing God, but they're really just, just in it for the money, and, and they're abusing people. And he went in and drove them out. So he saw that Jesus was fearless. Jesus is fearless. He saw that Jesus was powerful. He cast demons out of people. They saw that Jesus was compassionate because he would spend a whole day healing people. Everybody that came, he healed person after person after person. And it's tiring. Praying for people is tiring. It takes something out of you. It's not just like throwing wiffle dust over a crowd. He saw Jesus' compassion and his stamina. And Peter just said, you know, whatever Jesus is, I want Whatever, whoever he is, whatever he is, I want him. I want relationship with him. I mean, I trust him. Dumb idea, but I trust him. And so he stepped into it. And, and, I, and I just want to say that's the essence of faith. The essence of faith is for you and for me to say, you know what? I'm crazy enough to believe that God should run my life rather than me running it. You know, I'm crazy enough to believe that God should be the one who determines how I, my behavior and my belief system when it comes to things like marriage and when it comes to things like my sexuality, when it comes to things like how I'm gonna spend my money, what I'm gonna do with my possessions, my relationships. I'm crazy enough to believe that what Jesus tells me to do is the right thing and I'm gonna do it even though it doesn't make sense. That's what faith is. You know, there's like... Like you're offended by someone, someone at work gossips about you, and you lose your job. I mean, it, it, there's an offense. And, and God says, forgive that person. In fact, what I want you to do is go to them and, and I want you to bless them. You know, that's what God's word says bless people who persecute you. That doesn't make sense. What do you mean, bless people who persecute me? They lied about me, they, caused, they hurt me. And you're telling me now, forgive them and go to them and bless them? That's crazy. Well, do you believe in Jesus? If Jesus is telling me to do that, I look at him and I say, you know what, Jesus, I'm crazy enough to do that. It's crazy to jump out of an airplane, let me tell you that. Makes no sense whatsoever. The only thing I know that's crazier than that is jumping off a bridge with a rope tied to your ankle, but uh, head first. But uh, look, we need to recognize that this Christian faith, this Christian life, we're, we're living and walking in is it goes beyond the norm of the safe um, American lifestyle that we all want. God bless America. I love our country. I'm thankful for the freedom we have. And I believe that over the centuries, we have had, had a profound impact on the world, sending missionaries out all across the world. And a wonderful thing is now that all these third world countries are starting to send missionaries out. And you know, it's not long until they'll start sending them back here probably. But a um, little side note, okay. But I just want to say, one of the things we've adopted in our cultural mindset is that safety is the most important thing. You know, I just want my kids to be safe. Well, okay, I want to protect my kids from predators. I want to protect them pretty much from bullies, but not, not necessarily entirely. But, uh, you know, we, I want to ter- teach them to live in a dangerous world. 
And what that means is they have to be willing to make some crazy decisions. And, and I want to teach them to trust Jesus. And you and I have to be willing to make some crazy decisions and just simply trust Jesus. I mean, think of, think of this. What happens to the young woman that is engaged and, and, and her hopes have been to be married and she, she's engaged, but as, as the engagement goes on, she just sees this is wrong. This, this is a wrong, this is wrong. There are things here that are wrong, but I want, I want to be married so bad. And, and what if she finds out, well, the guy's not really a believer after all. You know, he said he believed in God and I was hoping that that meant he really knew Jesus, but now it's come out clearly. He doesn't really know Jesus and yet I'm engaged to him. And the Bible says that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. What that means is that, that uh, to be yoked means harness put on me and on someone else beside me and we're both going to be going the same direction pulling the same direction if you're unequally yoked that means we're going to be pulling two different directions and what happens then is you don't go anywhere or the strongest strongest one pulls the other one that direction but it's not good and so what happens what type of a decision does she have to make that's tough and it's almost like she just has to Say, you know, I'm crazy enough to say this is the right thing. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to break it off. Not going to happen. Sorry. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he says. I mean, there's so many places in our lives where we can see that we need to have just this, this crazy notion that God supersedes everything else. That we are not going to base our lives on what the bloggers think or what the majority of the pundits who are commenting on culture and everything else, what they think, or, or the people that write sitcoms. I mean, do you realize how much these sitcoms that we watch influence our philosophy of life and how we view things? I mean, we're, we're, we're believers. Why do I want to let a, a group of people that don't believe the same thing I believe about God and Jesus and life, why do I want to let them be the ones that control what I think a group of friends should be like? That's crazy. That's what's crazy. And so you and I need to be crazy enough to recognize that that's really crazy. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to live the way Jesus wants us to. Okay? If Jesus says, you know what? Launch that boat out into the deep and cast your nets. We're going to say, all right, we're on it right now. Yes, sir. Let's see what's going to happen. This is going to be good, guys. This is going to be good. And if nothing else, it, maybe it's a heart test. Or if nothing else, at least Jesus is going to know that we'll do whatever he says. If nothing else, that's going to be the case. All right? And so th- th- that's what we're called to. That's what a life of faith is, a real life of faith is. So um, let, let's look at the rest of this story, all right? This is great. This is a great story. I just want this to burn into our minds and our hearts. And what, what I really want is for all of us, including myself, just open our hearts and say, Jesus, I don't want to just hear this right now. I want this to change my life. I want this to change the trajectory of my spiritual life, of how I view you, of how I'm going to live, the decisions I'm going to make. So just pray that right now. Just, Jesus, we want... We want this understanding that real faith is in you and that we're going we're gonna, to, in the world's eyes at least, we're going to be crazy and we're going to say that we're going to allow you to be the one that directs our lives and we're going to read your word 
And we're going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to teach us what the Bible says. And we're going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us and give us direction and show us. And Father, we know you're good. And so we're very safe praying this. Uh, not safe in the sense of the world, but safe in the sense of knowing you and just walking with you. And so thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's look at the conclusion of this. Here's what happens. Uh, verse 7 and 8, we already saw they, they caught a great catch of fish. They signaled to their partners in the other boat. Okay, so the other boat must have stayed ashore. Okay, Peter and John and whoever else is involved in this, one of the boats stayed. And so they're, get out here, big catch of fish. And so they get their boat, they get it out there. And, and it says, they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Wow. The boats began to sink. You ever have the notion that if God would just bless, oh, if God would just bless, everything would be so wonderful. There'd be no problems. Oh, if God would just bless this church, there'd be peace and joy and everything would work harmoniously. Do you ever think that? Listen, when God blesses, sometimes you get overwhelmed. When God blesses, you have to really crank up your attention so that you steward well what he blesses you with. Because sometimes the boats aren't designed to hold it, you know? And if the boat's not big enough to hold it, then what do you do? But, but it's just, I mean, we want God's blessing, but, but what we have to be prepared to do when we enter into God's blessing is to steward it according to his thinking, not ours, Okay? And, and, and I need to be, recognize that just as it's trusting him that releases his blessing, when it comes, I've got to steward it the way he wants me to. And that might sound, it might be crazy. It might be something crazy. And so uh, just the first thing here is God's blessing is, is, is wonderful, but it, it really brings challenges, wonderful challenges. Uh, so Peter falls down and here's what's happening here. Deeper revelation, deeper insight into who Jesus is, who God is, is showing Peter some of his inadequacy. And particularly here, I, I picture Peter mumbling the whole way as, as they're putting the sails back up and they're getting the nets back in the boat. What, did I, what, what was I thinking saying I'd do this? Jesus is crazy. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know if I'm going to follow him anymore. And, and he's mumbling and grumbling the whole way out there. And then this big catch of fish comes and he sees Jesus is more than I thought he was. He's more than I thought he was. And Peter's response to that was just this overwhelming sense of guilt and failure on his part. But you know what? It was really his obedience that brought the whole thing into motion. And, and so, I mean, if I was there, I, you know, Peter, get up off your knees. And that's basically what Jesus does. He says, stop being afraid. You don't have to be afraid. He says that in a minute or two. But one of the things to recognize here is Peter lived in an era before Jesus had actually died for sins and paid for sins and, um, and, and released the Holy Spirit into the world so that believers would be transformed and changed and renewed like we are today. So Peter doesn't yet have a new heart in the same way you and I do. He's living in an era where animal sacrifices were what you did about your sin. And the book of Hebrews tells us that animal sacrifices could never cleanse the conscience. And so, I, you know, I see this response of Peter and I think, okay, there might be times when 
you and I should respond that same way. But um, 99% of the time, this is not the response for us today. We are forgiven by Jesus. He died for every wrong thing we've ever done and ever will do. He has renewed our hearts. He has changed us. He's filled us with his presence. And he loves us as his children. Now, if I'm living in just rank disobedience, Jesus, I know you want me to do this, but I'm going to do this instead, then not only am I going to experience turmoil inside, maybe I should respond like this. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like, let's say I am sleeping with my neighbor's wife and the excuse is my wife's not being nice to me and she is. And, and let, let's, okay. When you repent about that, you need to fall on your knees before God and just say, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Kind of like Peter. But short of that, I think that mostly we, we don't have to mimic his, his response here. But it, Revelation today, in fact, in Ephesians 1, it says deeper revelation about God should show us more the riches that we have in our inheritance in Christ. And so deeper revelation shows us more what it means to be children of his. And so at any rate, this, this is the response Peter gives. But verse 9 it says, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And so they're astonished, uh, dumbfounded, and that's, that's why. And, and actually, what I see in that is that all of them were responding this way. All of them were. So Jesus says, uh, do not be afraid. And it means, like, stop being afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when then they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so here, what Jesus does is he gives them more revelation. And now the revelation is not just about who Jesus is. The revelation is about who they are and who they will be and what they will do and what his mission for their lives is. And so they're seeing now more of what God's calling them to. And, uh, and, 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 and in that... It, it stirs something in them. It's almost like they've been following Jesus for a year, and now it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's why we've been following him. This is what this is all about. And they just leave the boats behind. And so this is the point at which they walk away from their businesses and become full-time followers of Jesus because he had revealed himself to them. So you see what starts out as a simple act of trust that says, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take your advice on fishing, ends up with this, this huge act of trust of saying, okay, we'll leave our careers behind to follow you. Isn't that powerful? So here's how faith grows. Let me show you these four steps. These, you trust, you hear what God's directing you to do, you act on that, and then you experience his goodness. And so you, you start with trust. Whatever trust you have, put it in God. I mean, fi- find a point of trust that you can start with. And, and it might be that you have to look back over your life and you have to remember a time when you just, you had God's peace and strength and blessing. Um, it, it, it could be um, when you were a child or, or it could be sometime earlier in your life, or it could be last week, or it could be that you trusted God with something this week, and you can say, okay, that's where my trust level is. I'm going to say to God, God, show me what's next. And, and I listen, and then I hear him speak. And I've already said that's 
primarily through his word when it comes to so many of these things. But, but it, God speaks and he gives me direction. And it can be just God speaking into my life, not necessarily just something I read in the Bible that is, is real super clear. But it could be God speaking into my life. And then what I do is I respond to that. I have to decide, am I going to trust him? And I, and I, and I want to say, I'll do it because you said to, Jesus. That, that's, what you, that's the answer, okay? Let's say that's, that's the bottom line answer right there. I'll do it because you said so, Jesus. But the more insight we get and the more revelation we get, the more excited we get about saying yes. And then we act. And so I have some trust. I take it to Jesus. He speaks to me, tells me what the next step of faith is. I act on that step of faith. And then I experience the outcome. Sometimes that outcome is just power. It's healing. It's wholeness, like Wilson talked about earlier. And, and we want to see more and more and more of that. And we believe we will see more and more and more of that. But sometimes, because this is warfare, it is a battle. Some battles we lose. But even then, that, that's when it becomes all the more significant that it's about trust in a person. And I remember the first time I prayed for someone that was really sick. I had been exposed to all this teaching on healing. I'd had a, a well-known prophet pray over me and um, told me to pray for the sick. And so I come home to my church in Michigan, and um, there was a young man that had a stroke. By young, I mean in his 30s, a father. And I went to visit him in the hospital, and I said, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to raise this guy to this hospital bed. I'm gonna, I don't care if the nurses are there or what. I'm going to pray for him, and that's what's going to happen. And so I go in and I pray for him and the nurses come in and I just keep praying and, um, and I, I just went for it and nothing happened and nothing happened and I prayed again and nothing happened. And then God brought a verse to my mind that um, I saw this written on the wall, PH414 is what it was. And <clears throat> so I looked it up and here's what it said. It said, nevertheless... You have done well to share with me in my affliction. When I read that, I took that as Jesus speaking to me, saying that when I'm here ministering to this guy and contending for his healing, that I was standing with Jesus. And that he was here suffering with this guy too. And that even though I didn't see what I wanted to see there, it really showed me that my faith was in him, not the outcome. And don't get me wrong. I want the outcome. I want to see people get out of hospital beds like that. And I think we're headed there. We're moving that direction and we're seeing more and more. But we get the outcome when we focus on him. We get the outcome when we put the faith in him and we trust him. And so that's what I want to leave you with today. These four things, trust, hear, act, and experience, and um, as, as you do that, you're going to see your own faith grow and develop. So I'm going to turn the rest of the service over to Wilson.